Hey, this is Junior. Thanks for hitting play. This message you're about to hear was recorded at a live archaeological dig. It's a lot of fun. Live on site. I think you'll find this fun. Stay tuned. Rich, welcome. You know, we usually we don't do videos on the weekends, but man, I just had to bring you along to Israel. We're here in a town called Susita, which might not sound familiar at all. It's not a name that you would find in your Bible, but it is kind of. When you hear the word Decapolis in Scripture, uh, Decapolis is one of 10 Roman cities, and this is one of those 10 Roman cities, Decapolis. And uh, it's actually close to the public. Uh, the, the fence wasn't too high, so we were able to hop that over and come in. But it's just this beautiful, beautiful area, and I have to show you the view here in Susita. We're right on the cliffs of Gadara, uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And so I'll invite you up here. We're in, right now we're in a Roman public building from the first century. And as you can see from this view right here, it's just this gorgeous view of the Sea of Galilee. You think of Jesus walking on the water here. You think of Jesus calming the storm here. Think of Jesus taking a boat from Capernaum, which would have been over here, and coming over to Tiberias, which would have been right on the other side of this lake. Jesus took a boat across this lake so many times. There's so much history, so much in Scripture that revolves around this lake right here. It's a beautiful view, but we're actually here for more than just the view. An incredible story takes place here in Susita, and I want to tell you about it. It's one of my favorite stories. And I think once we're done with this story, it might be one of your favorite stories as well. Grab a Bible. we got Bibles in the chairs. It's page 840 in the Bibles in the chairs. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5. So Mark chapter 5, grab a Bible. Man, this is going to be so much fun. Let me pray. We're going to jump right in. Father, I thank you so much that we get to do this, just to be able to teach right here on the Sea of Galilee, see the view behind me of where this all took place. God, this is such an amazing thing for all of us. We thank you that we get to do this. Uh, but even more than that, Father, I, I pray that you speak to us. You are going to speak to us through your word as you always do. I ask that we really tune into what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, you'll notice the story before Mark chapter 5 is the story, a famous story, of Jesus calming the storm on the sea. You know, because of the geographical features, storms can sweep through this area rather quickly and they can come very, very abruptly. Uh, you'll notice, uh, it's a little misty today, a little foggy today, but you'll notice the, the Sea of Galilee is, is a bit like a bowl. The winds can really swirl in this area and, and it makes it, the conditions very, very dangerous on the lake, especially in the winter uh, as we are right now. So right in Mark chapter 5, Jesus would have been on the other side of the lake, and a storm just comes through and smacks them right when they're in the middle of the lake. And from this distance, it looks like kind of a small lake, but you have to realize they would be in the middle. And if you're in the middle of the lake, the closest swim to the shore would have been four miles. Four miles of swimming is quite a lot. On top of that, there would have been large waves because of the wind, a pelting rain. It's cold. It's dark. This is a very terrifying experience for them to be in the middle of the lake dealing with all of this. And so there they are in the middle. The wind is, is, is sweeping over this ledge right here when all of a sudden, 
the storm, the rain that's pelting this town of Susita right now, the storm just stops. The rain breaks, the wind halts, clouds dissipate. Within a matter of seconds, it goes from dark and stormy to rays of sunlight beaming down. You think about the people of Susita all around here, they peek out the windows trying to make sense of this crazy weather phenomena. And down the hill, they notice a boat coming toward the shore, heading this way. And so as we head into Mark 5, just below, the disciples are pushing a rather beaten boat onto the shoreline. A couple of disciples flop out of the boat. They're kissing the ground. They didn't think they would make it to shore. They are so relieved, yet at the same time, they're more quiet than usual down there. See, they're a bit embarrassed. Many of them are seasoned fishermen who spent their lives on this lake, and they were just freaking out, thinking they were about to die. And so they quietly drag the boat to shore. Little do they know, they're leaving one storm out on the lake, and they're coming into another storm here on this hill in Susita. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. The country of the Gerasenes, that's this side of the lake. That's this region. So right now, uh, we are standing in the country of the Gerasenes. So welcome to the, Garis- the land of the Gerasenes. Uh, this was predominantly a Gentile area. As I said, this, is a, this was a Roman town. Um, there are a lot of pig farmers in this area. This is something that Jews couldn't be during this time, pig farming. Um, God had asked them to stay away from unclean animals, pigs being one of those unclean animals. And so Jesus just arrived on the shore down there. His feet crunch under the pebbles as he walks toward the base of this hill. And he's looking for someone. Someone who lives around here in one of the caves around here. See, we're not here for just the view. We're not here for the the beautiful Roman architecture that we see around us right now. We're here because this place is very special. I just found, we found this last, not, not archaeologists, but we found this place just last night as we were driving around. This place is littered with caves, and I want to show you a few of them and why that matters. So come along with me. So this right here is the land of the Gerasenes. In fact, right now I am standing in a first century Roman tomb. This is a lid of a sarcophagus. Actually, follow me. This is, this is cool. Maybe it's morbid, but I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty cool. This whole area would have all been first century tombs. That, that mountain up there is Susita, where we just were. And as you were to walk into Susita, you would see all of these tombs lining the road. And right up here is a first century sarcophagus. This is from the time of Jesus. There would have been a body right here, and this is the road going into the town. This is why I bring you here, because look at verse 2 of Mark chapter 5. It says, And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, down in the water, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. 
No one had the strength to subdue him. Now look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains all around us, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So somewhere in this area near these cliffs stands a man. He's unbathed, bearded face, matted hair, and no, it's not me. He sits in a dark cave or in a tomb, cutting himself, scars all over his naked body. He is the shame of his people up on the mountain, and he hides in their family tombs. An hour ago, he ducked into one of these tombs to escape that sudden storm that had sweeped over the hill and onto the lake. But that storm suddenly ended like it ended unnaturally. It spooked him. The sky went from dark to now sunny. So he creeps out of one of these tombs to inspect this weird weather phenomenon. In his hand, he holds a sharp rock that he uses to reopen some of his self-inflicted wounds on his body. His hands trembling from pain and loss of blood, he drops the bloody rock and watches it tumble down the cliff. That is where his eyes meet them. Someone dare step on his beach below. Go follow me. We're just on the other side of that road leading up to Susita. This area would have also had graves and tombs and and caves. In fact, behind me, you can possibly make out some old caves. Those would have had graves in those caves as well. This would have provided shelter for this man that Mark is talking about here. And he just notices a boat has arrived on his beach. Somebody dare walk here. With a twitch, he takes off, racing down the cliff that most people just inch their way down. But he knows his terrain better than anybody else as he jumps from rock to rock, bolting through thicket and bushes, stepping on cactuses as if they were, as if they were nothing. And he crashes out onto the beach below. See, the disciples just left one storm on the water. Now they're about to hit a storm here on land and they stare at an image of a man that will be burned into their memory. An unclothed, scarred man stands there. This man has a reputation. Oh, he's known all around the lake. I mean, the kids at sleepovers tell scary ghost stories about this man. You know, that, that crazed maniac who lives on the cliffs of Gadara in the tombs. He is the shame of his people. He keeps the community up here awake at night with his wailing and his spooky laughs. He strikes fear in the nearby children as they try to fall asleep. And what does Mark say? It says these people have tried to do something before. I mean, you look at verse 3 and 4. It says they've, that they've tied him down. He's been shackled, but he would just bust out. He would break free. Nobody could catch him. And even if they did catch him, they couldn't hold him down. They've tried to take care of this problem before, but they couldn't. And I bet you know the feeling, don't you? Because we all have that issue that we just can't subdue. It's that marriage problem that keeps popping up. It's that addiction. It's what goes into your mouth. Or it's what comes out of your mouth. 
It's what you look at when nobody's around. You have that issue and you can't get it under control. Oh, you've tried to subdue it. You want to subdue it. Maybe you've even had moments where you feel like you had it under control. You had this thing beat. It was locked up and done only to have it bust out and reappear in your life. And man, after a while, it just gets tiring. The the fight just isn't worth it anymore. It's too hard. It's too discouraging. And so what do we do? We hide our problem. We put our skeleton in the closet, or I guess in this case, the crazed madman in the caves. And what happens is that issue that used to bug us in our life, that struggle that that, that we have, we used to hate it. But now it's just become part of our everyday life. You know the feeling, don't you? That's this guy who lives around here. See, he, he used to be chased by this town. His town used to try to subdue him, but they couldn't. And so now this town just tries to live with this guy, with his cries and his manic episodes at, at night. And these cliffs, this area, the Gerasenes, they're giving us a lesson. This is number one in your notes. Number one, we often cope instead of deal with our problems. That's this guy, right? He's the community problem, but he's just, he's too strong. He's too scary to deal with. He's just too messy to handle. And so instead of dealing with this issue, they're just going to cope with this guy. Ah, whatever. Let him live in the tombs. I guess we'll just kind of hear him at night and see him at funerals, try to get used to it. We'll just stay away from that area. Sure. It affects our kids. You know, when we put him to sleep at night, uh, he, he keeps us up at night. You know, he wakes us up in the middle of the night, but what can we do? And that's exactly what we've done with so many issues in our life. We just try to live with it. No, it wasn't always like that. You, you know, when this problem first came into our life, when that addiction first developed, when that marriage issue first popped up, when that problem first came, at first we hated it and we battled it and we tried to hold it down. We tried to subdue it. We tried to fix it. We tried to get rid of it. Our conscience was sensitive to it. But over time, man, we just couldn't win. It's easier to live with it. It's easier to cope with. It's easier to just figure out how to, a way to tolerate it. It's too messy. It's too big of an issue. It's, it's too scary. It's, it's too uncomfortable. This is just how our marriage will always be. This addiction will just be my thing. That's just how our family is. And when pain arises from that problem, when shame hits, we just ignore it. We just cope. We just medicate. We just excuse it. We sweep it under the rug. See, you and I, we tend, we do the same thing that Susita does. We, we tend to cope instead of deal with our problems. What are you coping with instead of dealing with? See, that encounter down on the beach below, it was no coincidence. Jesus didn't just show up here for no reason. He intentionally came here. He came here on purpose. While everyone around here was trying to just kind of cope with this crazy man around here, Jesus came to deal with the issue. And I believe he wants to do the same with you right now. Look at verse six. It says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, You ran down and fell before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me? (laughs) Now, Mark doesn't say it, but I'm I'm thinking it. 
There's no longer 14 guys standing down on the beach right now. There's a naked guy standing down there. There's a clothed guy standing down there. And there's 12 guys jumping over each other through the water to get back into the boat. He continues, Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Here's what's going on here. There is a spiritual realm. If we could peel back the physical, we would see a spiritual realm all around us. That realm is at war. And the great thing about this is, we see it right here, the enemy knows they've lost. The the enemy knows this is just a losing battle. I mean, case in point, right here. The enemy knows they will be tortured in the future. And so throughout the Gospels, when a demon would identify Jesus, they would a lot of times ask Jesus, please don't prematurely torment me. They know it's coming. Please don't start that right now. This is what's happening here in, in verse 7 and 8. But look at verse 9. It says, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Oh, first century readers reading this, the hair on the back of their neck would have stood up. See, it was common knowledge that a Roman battalion could only be called a legion when they've had 6,000 soldiers. You think about that, 6,000 soldiers. Now, I'm not saying this guy has 6,000 demons in him. I don't know. I mean, I just know not to take a demon's word for being truth, so I don't really buy into this description. But the fact remains, this guy has got a whole lot of problems going on. He says, you're not just about to tangle with one. We are legion. We are many. Man, this is so riveting, isn't it? Like, whoever says scripture is boring has not read this story. Jesus just took a nap out there on the lake, ended up waking up, calming the storm. Then he took a boat boat to these cliffs to confront legion to set this community, this area free. And in all of this, Jesus is screaming point number two to us 2,000 years later. This is in your notes, point number two. Jesus wants to confront what you've given up on. He wants to confront it. That thing you don't want to think about right now, Jesus wants to land right there on the beach and confront it. And you know what I'm talking about. That thing you've given up on. That marriage issue. That addiction you can't conquer. That reoccurring problem that you just don't want to talk about, that you you just don't want to think about. You know that thing that you've given up on. Like that beach down there, Jesus wants to land on the sore spot in your life and take on what you've given up on. Because Jesus knows, man, this is not how you were meant to be. You weren't meant to live in defeat. You weren't meant to limp along in life. You weren't meant to embrace the hopelessness that you've been embracing and coping with. Jesus walked down there on that beach to free this community and he walks, he wants to walk into that area of your life to, to, to give you freedom and hope. He says, come on, let's just face it. You trying to live with that problem? You trying to cope with the issues that you got going on in your marriage? You trying to figure out and, and keep on being defeated by this addiction? It is only making you a hollow shell of the person that you could be. You're not yourself. And you haven't been for, for some time. This addiction, that problem has taken its toll. That, that shame that you carry has just been sucking the life out of you. The, the marriage issues that you're dealing with or the relationship problems that you're having is just weighing you down. You're on edge. You're sensitive. You're scared. And it can all be traced back to that issue that you worked so hard to hide in your life 
and cope with. See, we easily, and this is what this community did, we easily buy into the lie that this is just how it's, how it's going to be. This is just how it is. I'm just going to live with this problem. I'm just going to cope with this problem. And down there below, Jesus stepped on the beach down there to tell this community, but to also tell you, don't you dare for a second buy into the lie from the pit of hell that this is just how it is. No, Jesus came to take on what you've given up on. It's nothing for him. Oh, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to leave church today just all of a sudden free from your problems. It's going to be hard. It's going to be humbling. It's going to be scary, but it's going to be so worth it. Let's talk more about this. Look at verse 11. It says, Now a great herd of pigs is feeding there on the hillside, the hillside behind. And they, the, the demons, begged Jesus, saying, Send us to those pigs. Let us enter them. So the demons want to go into pigs. It's just kind of weird, isn't it? Like we read this, it's like, what, what, what's going on here? It's, it's hard for us to understand this concept today. But during this time, um, this, this makes sense. There was an old Babylonian incantation that spoke of a pig being a viable host for a demonic spirit. And so there was a lot, people knew this kind of stuff back then. It's odd to us today, but it wasn't odd during this time. Let's continue on though. Verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and drowned in the sea below. Stampede of pigs right down the hill and into the bay. It was the original bay of pigs. A total apocalypse. It was silence of the hams. <laughs> Two thousand pigs. You know how much money that is? If you were to, uh, I know you're not going to do this, but if you were to leave church today and go out and buy a, a feeder pig, which is a fairly cheap pig, we're talking about $100 a pig. You could spend up to $300 on a live pig, depending on, depending on the breed. So if you were to do the math, we're talking between $200,000 and $600,000. That is a huge loss. $200,000 to $600,000 just went rushing down the hillside and into the water. The herdsmen near here, standing around here somewhere, they're probably middle schoolers or high school boys, they look down into the lake and they wonder why their herd of 2,000 pigs just up and went down the hill and drowned in the water. Like a mammoth source of income is now floating down there in the water. Look at verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. So everybody begins to leave town, look over the walls, or maybe even come down here and gather around. It, man, it's just been a weird day. Like, first there was like this storm that rolled in, and then suddenly, unnaturally, it just stopped like that. Then their large herd of pigs just went and drowned themselves. What is going on today? Verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were all afraid. Like, not only is the shoreline filled with dead pigs, but over there... There's that guy that, you know, that, that guy that, that screams in the night, the, the guy that gives our kids nightmares, the, the guy that interrupts our funerals. He's, 
sitting there. Never seen him with clothes on before. Like this day just keeps on getting weirder. And then something even more weird happens. Look at verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart their region. Why would they tell Jesus to go away from here? Like Jesus just freed their town. There's no more screams in the middle of the night. No more interrupted funerals. No more putting their scared kids to bed. Like, this is amazing. This is incredible. What a blessing. Why did they tell Jesus to go away? Well, because Jesus just cost them a lot of money. Oh, yeah, it'll be nice tonight to be able to go to bed without the screams. It'll be nice to mourn at our funerals next week without this guy disturbing our services. But their cash flow is in the bottom of the lake now. They didn't want to pay the price for Jesus freeing them. They would rather cope with their problem than pay the price to clean themselves up. See, yes, Jesus wants to confront your source of pain and shame. He wants to break your addiction. He wants to address that issue in your marriage. He wants to free you from the shame of your past. However, and this isn't a good, feel-good point, but we just, we have to go there. Point number three, freedom comes with cost. To tackle that hidden issue in your life, to, to fix the source of of pain, to, to break that addiction that you're dealing with, to address those marriage issues that you've been sweeping under the rug, to confront those problems in your life, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you humility to just come out into the open and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. That costs, that, that costs you humility. To actually address the real issues in your marriage, it's gonna cost you temporary peace to sift through that and have those conversations. To really kick that addiction, you need accountability. That's gonna cost you some freedom. See, in this text, yeah, Jesus didn't send the pigs into the water, but he did allow it. And I believe that as Jesus stood somewhere around here and watched that herd go into the water to their death, I believe he was telling the people of Susita and in this area, and I believe he was telling us the same thing. If you want real freedom, it is not found magically in the crazy guy calming down. If you guys want real, real freedom, you got to start by doing what God has asked you to do. Clean yourselves up. Stay away from the pigs. Stay away from that which makes you unclean. Your real problem isn't the crazy guy in your, in, in your tombs. Your real problem is that you are unclean. Freedom is found in obedience. And for these people living around here, that was a big price to pay. A price they weren't okay paying. It's just too much money. That's why they tell Jesus, just leave, sail off. Oh, they like Jesus' teaching. And the people around here, uh, these people would have probably been there when Jesus fed 5,000. They liked the free food. These people probably saw Jesus, witnessed Jesus performing miracles. Maybe even some of them have been healed. They like that. But if Jesus is going to cost them something, get out. It's a pretty insane story. And it's pretty cool to be here, isn't it? I mean, it happened right around here. But more than just a story, Jesus is preaching a loud sermon, a hard sermon. From the cliffs right here, God in flesh is speaking to you and I. 2,000 years later, this is for us. You coping with that issue is only dragging things out. You coping with that problem in your life is only hollowing you out. It is wearing you down. 
you know it. This is not how you were meant to live. You were not meant to live hopeless, powerless, and live in defeat. And so isn't it obvious why a loving God encourages us to bite the bullet and deal with the issue? To pay whatever price needs to be paid to find freedom and find cleanliness that we've been wanting to have? I mean, isn't it obvious why God doesn't come to us and say, hey, just keep the guy in the tombs. It's okay. Just cope with it. Hide it. Keep it a secret. Pretend. Act like everything is fine. You're doing great. Just keep running. Keep working hard to keep it a secret. Keep denying it. Keep justifying it. Keep excusing it. No, no, no. Our loving Father looks at you and says, I know it hurts, and I know you're scared, and I know you want to run, and I know you want to hide this, and I know you think you're fine coping with this problem, but it is killing you. I did not create you to live this way. Don't keep letting this problem go. I sent Jesus to confront it. So go there. Drag it into the light. Confess it. Have that dreaded conversation. Get counseling. Open up. And, and yeah, I'll shoot straight with you. When you do that, when you drag that man out of the caves, when you drag that problem into the light, your outside world will become more complicated. Stuff may hit the fan. Your outside world may temporarily become more complicated, but your inside world, your inside world will become free. And it's from the inside that you love. It's from the inside that you lead. It's from the inside that we experience God. And once we work through that complicated outside world and we walk through the fire and you have that conversation and you step up and you own up to what you need to own up to and you take responsibility and you pick up as many pieces that you can pick up, you come out of all of that as a better man, as a better woman, not working to keep everything a secret and try to justify that problem or excuse it or keep beating yourself up over it at night. No, you put yourself in a position to enjoy the love and the grace of our Father more than ever before. And so we ask ourselves, so what? We always ask ourselves when we come out of this text, like God speaks. This is an incredible story that took place right around here. But more than just the story, Jesus brought this town to a point of decision. Are you going to allow me to confront the issues in your life? This town said no. In the same way, Jesus is bringing you to that point of decision. There is that thing that you have been trying to manage. There has been that sin that you're trying to hide. There's been that shame that you try to sweep under the rug. You have a skeleton in your closet. It is there. What are you going to do with it? Here's the point of decision. Are you going to allow Jesus to confront it? Are you going to drag it into the light? Experience the forgiveness and the grace of God and work through that complicated outside world? Are you going to pay the price? confess or like this town are you going to ask Jesus to just take off no I'm not going to go there not no I'm not paying that price Jesus not here this is this is my part of my life I don't want you there are you going to continue to hide and cope and sweep things under the rug we're going to take some time for corporate reflection as we always do at the end of our services we're going to throw a question up on the screen just for us to sit in and, and reflect on. This is your time between you and God. Again, we always take this time. And the question that I want to leave us with as we reflect is, what does Jesus want to confront in your life? What is it for you? What's that thing that came to your mind? Might be a, 
might be alcohol. It might be porn. It might be an affair. It might be a spending issue that you have. It might be an addiction. It might be an eating issue. What's that problem that you've been hiding? And the second part of that question is, is what's it going to cost to drag into the light? Confession. This might look like getting into a support group. This might look like getting accountability. This might look like getting into celebrate recovery that we have at the bridge. What does Jesus want to confront in your life? And what is it going to cost? This time right now is yours. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.